This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to Jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. What is going on, everybody? How you doing, Jay Randall? Hello, Brian. Great to see you. You're a little older nowadays. <clears throat> uh, yeah, thanks. Happy birthday, Jay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's Jay's birthday, everybody. Everybody yes. say happy birthday, Jay. <laughs> I can't hear anybody. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh we got a great guest this evening we got will stewart from none other than doomsday tackle so uh we're gonna chat with will tonight get him up here in a second uh they make some great plastic baits rods reels all that kind of good stuff um they got a new rod releasing soon things like that so uh let's get will in here start chatting with him will welcome to the show brother what's going on guys how you doing what's up? good man how you doing this evening i am doing good how are you guys just good man you should be awesome <laughs> i have a, a problem with showing exuberance amounts of energy so <laughs> it's all right brother it's all right it's all right well we're glad to have you man um yeah. 
looking forward to chatting with you about you know yourself and your role in Doomsday and uh, what Doomsday's got going on, man. So uh, why don't you just give us a little background on you, like where you're from and uh, how you got into uh, the fishing industry and Doomsday Tackle, man. It's a long story. I hope you're ready for it. Um, I'm ready, dude. <laughs> hey, we got we got some time. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm from actually I'm from Missouri. Okay. Um, was born and raised around the Lake of the Ozarks. Moved to the Kansas City area around third fourth grade, then to St. Louis area around sophomore year in high school. Okay. Um, so I've never not lived within at least a ten minute drive. From a very a, a pretty significant um, body of water, uh, St. Louis area doesn't have very many big lakes. But my dad lived on a on like a 120 acre private lake. Um, okay. So you literally walk out the back door, and uh, you know jump in the boat, grab one or two rods, and go fish for an hour or two every single day. Nice. So yeah, I probably I probably um, fished. I always fish for fun. I mean, bass fishing has always been kind of been my, my go-to thing. Um, I guess today they would probably call it like ADHD or ADD or something like that. But, uh, you know, crappie fishing, pan fishing, cat fishing never really interested me that much because I was, um, you know, really, I, I didn't like to sit still. Right. So with bass fishing, you're always casting, you know, you have to go out and find the, the pattern, you know, you have to make things happen for the most part. Um, and so that's really what caused me to enjoy it. Um, probably I'd say I joined the air force, um, out of my second year in college. Okay. Um, and then in that I got stationed over in Korea for the last two years of my enlistment. And then, um, Really enjoyed that. And so I ended up going back to Korea after I you know, got out of the military, came back to the U.S., went back to Korea, started teaching English and stuff like that, um, got married. And uh, my mom was coming to Korea to uh, visit me, my wife, and my, my oldest son had just been born, or my second son had just been born. And she was coming to visit, and my wife wanted to buy her a traditional Korean dress because it's a okay. cultural cultural thing and um the dress shop happened to be across the street from a tackle shop called bass camp um and so and for people that don't know much about the korean uh korean fishing industry uh carp fishing makes up probably about 60 percent. so it's yeah. a lot like europe and and you know most parts in asia carp fishing is kind of the big the big deal. And they kind of use like cane poles. I mean, they're very high tech cane poles. It's not just right, a bamboo right. rod with a string <laughs> on the end, but it's that style of fishing, right? There's no real, they call it, it's called Tay fishing or grand fishing is the translated term of it. But, you know, it's just a stick with a line, you throw it out there in the float and that's how they do that. So that's what most of the fishing stores in Korea are. And so this is the first time that I had seen um, a store with the title of bass, you know, in the name. Mm -hmm. So as being a bass fisherman, you know, I had kind of, um, I, I went over there to check it out and the owner of the shop happened to be kind of like the, um, I guess you could call him the, you know, this was in 2000 and what's it, 2009. Um, 
and so he was kind of the uh, Kevin Van Dam of the Korean bass fishing world, right? Hmm. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but happened to go in there, you know, um, having been stationed over in Korea for two years and, and being married to uh, a Korean lady. Um, I can speak Korean at the time. It probably wasn't that good. I'm a lot better now than I was then, but you know, we were able to talk and, and stuff like that. And so I had fished a couple tournaments, you know, back in the States, you know, local, you know, at, at the lake at my dad's house, they have uh, like a, it's called buddy bass fishing tournaments or whatever. And it's just a partner tournaments. And, and, but when I was doing that, I was probably fishing about 295 days a year. So, um, um, because literally it was right out the back door. You literally walk out, jump in the boat and go. Um, but the guy in Korea, so I I had fished like maybe one or two amateur tournaments in Korea. And so for people that don't know, don't know, Korea is probably in the entire world. If you were to go about the bass fishing industry, uh, America is the largest, obviously. And then you have Japan. Well, Korea is probably an easy third as far as bass fishing is concerned. Okay. Um, you know, they have their own professional tour. They have amateur tours. Um, you know, not only do they manufacture for probably 90% of all the brands here in America, um, but they also have their own domestic brands too. Um, that, that are very popular. I mean, I won't necessarily go into the names of the factories cause I might get myself in trouble, but, <laughs> um, you know, I rod Dobbins, you know, Duckett, Arbor Garcia, Luz, you know, everybody is, has, uh, you know, factories in, in Korea. So, sure. Um, so yeah, so, um, I ended up become kind of, because that was the only bass shop, you know, I had to get on a bus, um, and, and ride on a bus for about 45 minutes to get to this guy's shop from where, from where we live. And I just became good friends with him. I'd go over there all the time and, uh, ended up started, um, kind of writing for kind of like a Bassmaster magazine or, you know, um, us bass type, you know, it's, it's the biggest publication in Korea called it's called lure and fly. Um, because lure and fly fishing only makes up about 40% of the, of the industry in Korea. Um, and they were the biggest magazine. So I started writing articles on, on, uh, American techniques. So a lot of people think about, um, China or I'm sorry, Japan, it's very clear water, high pressure, um, you know, that kind of thing, lots of big fish. Um, Korea is a little bit different. I would say that Korea's waters are probably a little bit more like you would say Highland reservoirs in the Midwest. Okay. So, so stained, you know, a lot of rock, rocky uh, points, um, you know, that type of, you know, old dammed up, you know, rivers basically in farmland, right? That's the kind of um, stuff they have in Korea. So um, the patterns were very, very similar to what I had experienced, you know, fishing 200 days a year in the Midwest, right? So in Missouri. Um, you know, Lake of the Ozarks and, and Lake Sherwood is, is the name of the lake that my dad lived at. Okay. And so I started writing articles about, you know, American bass fishing techniques. So the Korean market really follows the Japanese trends very closely. So, you know, like, you know, all the brands like OSP and, and, uh, you know, Jackal and, and, and Nori's and stuff like that. Um, 
but they wanted to kind of um, that particular gentleman was sponsored by Pure Fishing, which makes up Arby Garcia and Berkeley. Okay. And so they have, you know, a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Pure Fishing from the U.S. is all, is all American style, right? It's not really Japanese style. So a lot of their products that they could get from the U.S. Um, didn't really fit their market or weren't as popular. And so um, uh, Pure Fishing Korea asked me to kind of be, and I got sponsored by them when I go to tournaments, you know, I got a jersey and all that, that fun stuff. Um, and I wrote articles for the magazine kind of telling about, you know, American lures and American fishing techniques and how those could be applied. Like nobody had ever heard of a shaky head, right? I had introduced hmm. a shaky head to the country of Korea. Um, nobody fished a 10 inch worm, right? I mean, like basic things that you would totally, you know, not Expect even think about. Use, yeah. yeah. They had hmm. never heard about for them. It was for them. It was all, you know, drop shots, um, you know, jig head wacky, you know, stuff like that. So it was, uh, um, they're not used to the American you know, st power fishing style. Nobody really power fishes over there. A lot of finesse. Yeah, yeah. A lot of finesse, you know, crankbaits. Um, I'm mean, even top water. There's a lot of really cool techniques and things that they do that I'll get into later that, that um, maybe Amer that American people might be able to pick up on and, 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 and use here, but kind of go back to my story. Um, they, uh, so I started writing for them. I wrote for them for probably, you know, in fish tournaments, started fishing pro-ams, um, ended up finishing fourth place in the Korea Open, which is kind of like the U.S. Open here, where it's like a, it's not really attached to any of the specific trails, but it's um, kind of like a pro-am where you have an amateur and, and a pro in the boat and, and uh, but your individual weight. So I ended up getting fourth place on the amateur side in that. Um, nice. And, uh so after about, after about a year and a half of writing magazines and just, you know, doing videos and, and doing that kind of stuff, um, they really needed help on the bait side. And so they had, um, Pure Fishing had just bought Sabeel and they needed some help on, on uh, choosing what crankbaits they thought would, would do the best there. And I said, you know, I, and they wanted to hire me part time to kind of run and be in charge of the bait. Um, department. And I said, well, I don't, at the time I was teaching English in Korea, it's like, I don't really have the time to do it part-time, but if you want to hire me full-time, I said, I'll, I'll do that. And so, you know, they talked about it. They had never hired a foreigner before, and, you know, all of those issues, even though it was an American company, you know, that's, it's the American branch in Korea. Right. So, sure. Um, so they hired me and I ended up becoming the, uh, um, product specialist for line and bait for the Korean market. And I want to say that was in 2012, so early 2012, late 2011. And I ended up, you know, so in Asia, so pure fishing has different regions. You have um, pure fishing US, you have pure fishing Asia, Asia you have pure fishing um, MEAE, which is like the Middle East and Africa, uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa. And then um, um, you have uh, pure fishing Australia, and then pure fishing um, uh, Russia. Okay. Um, and so we would go. We would get together with these with the whole Asia region. So it was um, Korea, Japan, Thailand, um, China, Malaysia. Um, 
I don't know if I'm leaving any out, but I think that's pretty much it. But we would meet together every year for like a kickoff party. We would have to do presentations. We'd have to talk about what bait and line. So I started to get to know um, because the Korean office is very closely connected to the Japanese office because we ended up, you know, they would design the products and then we would end up selling them in Korea. I had to become very you know, close friends with the Japanese um, bait designer, started working with him. Um, he knew I had a little bit of a graphic design background. Um, so he kind of asked me to take a look at some of his drawings or mess with some of the logos that they were doing for, you know, packaging and stuff like that. So I started seeing the, the 2d technical drawings for the baits. And, um, I had done a little, I had dabbled in bait design myself, you know, like, um, carve a blank out of a piece of wood and get some silicone and try to pour my own baits and do all that stuff. <laughs> um, but that never, that never worked out very well, but I do have a graphic design background. So I saw these 2d drawings that they were, that the factory is pulling out for their bait designs. And I said, these aren't that difficult. I could do that. And so, um, you know, in my spare time, um, I started, you know, drawing some drawings and stuff like that and um, started sending some, you know, Hey, what do you think of this to the Japanese guy who's in charge of baits? And, um, and he's like, you might have, you might have something there. And so I worked with him, um, ended up getting promoted about six to eight months after joining to the Berkeley brand business coordinator for all of Asia. Oh, wow. So I was in, I was in charge of all of the, the, not the country manager, but the region manager met me at that meeting and because um, they have that meeting in February every year. Um, so it must've been in 2011 that I started, but we would go to, we went to that meeting, he met me and because I was able to speak fluent English, um, I could speak Korean decently. I was able to communicate with the guys in the US at Spirit Lake or in, in Columbia, South Carolina. I was able to talk with them and kind of um, bridge the cultural gap, right? So, you know, the US, you know, for their own reasons, they're large. They have a lot of resources, a lot of money. I mean, Berkeley, Arbu Garcia, Fenwick, Shakespeare, Fluger, you know, some of those brands have kind of faded off in the most recent times, but it's, it's probably the largest fishing tackle company in the United States, right? So, yeah. Um, they, um, they were very confident in their products in the U S products. And they had a hard time understanding why the products that they were making, why we couldn't just take those as they were and sell them in Asia as they were. And, you know, the guys who had, had struggled with speaking with English, um, fluently had a hard time expressing, you know, the differences, whereas how I kind of fit in and really ended up being a good, I think, value for that time period is, is I really helped that relationship between Asia and America to bond. And now you're seeing the U.S. start to launch a lot more Japanese yeah. shapes. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, there's um, been and a lot like of a, them I, I designed. So. <laughs> yeah, there's been oh, like cool. a huge craze over the JDM stuff, you know, like all the Japanese stuff like Kai Tech and 
you know, all that good stuff, man. You're seeing more and more, I think, of that Chinese or, you know, um, Asian market transferring over, you know, to uh, to to the states, you know, which is cool to see. Because, I mean, that's the thing. I forget who we, we talked to somebody once and they're like, you know, I'm always three steps ahead of everybody in the States because I pay attention to what's going on over in Asia, the new techniques, the new baits and all that. And then by the time they get them here, um, he's already been fishing them for a year or something like that. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that stuff kind of transfer over. And it's interesting. Like I didn't, I, I had no clue that, you know, um, that Asian market had such a big bass scene. I always hear about, you know, like you talked about the carp, the catfish and things like that. That's what I think about, uh, when I hear fishing over in that part of the, the world. And, um, it's pretty cool to hear how that, how that all kind of translates, man. Yes. I mean, the, uh, for, as far as that, that's concerned, I mean, um, there's really the, the number of markets, if you look at global, I mean, bass fishing in the United States is huge, right? It's like 70% of the market share. I mean, it's, you know, saltwater fishing is big and on the East coast and the West coast, but even then it's not as big as bass fishing is on the East and the West coast. Right. So, um, where it's kind of the opposite there. So even in the lure and fly segments of the Japanese or Korean markets, um, that makes up 40% of the total market. Um, but you also have inside of that lure and fly selection, you have, you know, inshore fishing, um, and, um, and fly fishing and inshore fishing, saltwater fishing probably makes up, you know, because these are Island countries or, or, you know, peninsula countries like Florida. Um, and they're made up of, you know, probably 60% saltwater fishing inside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so bass fishing is really, you know, small for their whole entire market, but bass fishing in Japan and Korea, um, China is starting to get bigger. So I think like FLW even has, you know, some, China, you know, they, yeah. if you got, if you guys ever, I don't know if you've ever been to one of the FLW, um, the older FLW, not the forest wood, but the, um, the second tier down, championship i can't remember what it's called right now costas like, uh, it was costas at the time yeah, yeah, Costa the championship Costa, right yeah. uh, so the Costa championship had an element along with it that was flw um international had their own tournament inside that um uh, Costa championship and so you get guys from south africa korea um mexico uh, china and they would all come and they would all compete Canada. They would all come in and they would compete. And the winner of that international tournament got to a spot at the uh, forest world cup. Oh, okay. Forest wood cup. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, I think the South African guy who won it two or three years ago did fairly well in the forest wood cup. I mean, not, he didn't place in like the top 10 or anything like that, but he, Still he did fairly well in that tournament. And I think he's here stateside now uh, trying to fish the FLW tour or what was the FLW tour. I think I know what um, you're talking about. I forget that guy's name. And so, yeah, but, um, it's, but Italy is very small. Their market is very small. Europe has hardly no bass fishing at all. Right. Um, it, Italy and France, that's about it. And even huh. then that makes up a tiny margin 
of of what they do over there. So for them, it's um, uh, what we call pike or what they call xander um, and carp fishing. I mean, that's yeah, that's ninety nine percent saltwater fishing, carp fishing, and and uh, freshwater pike, right? So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's how the world goes. A lot of times we get focused in down here and you don't really get to see the whole spectrum whole big yeah. picture and i think that was one good thing about working for for berkeley or pure, pure fishing on the international side is you learn a lot of interesting things so so yeah after about six to eight months i started designing baits um i mean i could name drop some that berkeley's just released in the last couple of years uh, i can't i don't know their their names for them but the new rib shad that they came out with um, the Zeiss tail, the, um, what's that new craw bait that came out with last year, the pitching, flipping bait They changed the name. So it's hard to remember what they call um, it. Yeah. I um, know what you're talking about. I don't have to look it up later, but yeah, yeah. Those are some of the ones I did here, but in Japan, I probably designed 12 bass fishing baits and probably another 16 to 18 saltwater baits. That's crazy. Um, yes, some of those, um, haven't come over and, um, yeah. So then after working there from 2012 to 2014, I, uh, coming towards the end of 2014, early 2015, my wife wanted to come back to the States. The kids were kind of getting old enough to where they wanted to go to school. Um, so, you know, she wanted to go to school in America. So we came back, um, I had tried to work, tried to get uh, coordination. Got a little cop cars going on in the background. Um, <laughs> we had some, uh, uh, I had some context, obviously knowing the guys in the US, um, they didn't really have a spot open at the time that I was coming back. Um, so I talked to them about coming back and working for the US side of uh, pure fishing. Um, and then my brother, my brother's wife's dad's friend, had just started Doomsday Tackle Company. Okay. And um, so my brother's like, hey, these guys may may need somebody with, you know, with your product development uh, skill set. So I was like, okay. Um, so I called them up, went and meet with them down in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where our, the company was first located at. Um, and all they had was the Doomsday Turtle. So have you guys ever heard of the Doomsday Turtle? I've heard of it, yeah. I actually have, yeah. My audio is not working very good, but um, you sound fine. Um, but yeah, so the Doomsday Turtle was there, and uh, they—that's um, all they had. So they wanted me to kind of build a brand out of it. So my first week on the job was iCast 2016, I think. Okay. And um, um, they. Uh, uh, we got there first week on a job. I cast trying to sell this turtle. Um, some, some distributors walking down the aisle. My business partner threw one to him and he said, uh, um, Hey, why don't you try? Why don't you give this a shot? And the guy was like, uh, okay. And, um, he kind of, they kind of kept on walking, blew it off. And then about five minutes later, turn around, they come back and, they're like, this might be something that Dick's Sporting Goods might like. And so we kind of started going. We went to their that distributor show, 
and we came back and um, uh, started working some stuff. And so I started designing a few baits. Uh, first baits I did for Doomsday Tackle was the Roku, the Reaper um, 3.2, which Roku is kind of like our stick bait style bait. Yeah. And the Reaper is uh, like a, a micro jig trailer. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I'm gonna have to get the cable for this because <laughs> I can't hear you now for some reason. But you can still hear me, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can, can hear you good, man. We can hear. Um, you. We could sign to you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be talk so much stuff like two seconds. <laughs> I only know ba- I only know bad sign language. I think. Yeah. Oh, the battery died. Or my computer <laughs> checked out. We'll let uh, we'll let we'll get situated here for a second. I'm gonna try pulling up uh, some of these doomsdays. Baits that's that pretty crazy you know i never knew i mean i was new about japan but i never knew about korea yeah yeah i think you hear a lot more about the japan stuff than you do anything else which is it's kind of cool like like will said you know you, you you especially us in the states we think bass fishing all we think about is the united states like you don't think yeah. of areas like he's talking about which is 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 super cool to and interesting to me at least i hope everybody else finds that you know just Uh-oh. as interesting because it's super cool stuff man. i still can't hear you right now it's fine we'll just keep doing your thing yeah to, i mean <laughs> I, yeah i mean i knew that like uh you know the the uh, european market obviously you know i'm pike guys so i knew that you know one of their their bass you know was pretty much like well it, it's carp for them but i also knew pike where it was a huge market out there I've always wanted to go out there myself, but I never thought of, you know, it's funny because you just, I don't know, I guess you just get kind of ignorant to it. Yeah. You know, without yeah. looking into it because you just go, American yeah. bass. There can't yeah. be bass anywhere else, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, and I was just looking up stuff while we were talking. I'm like, man, I'm seeing them in China. It's pretty crazy. You know, yeah. they got some big fish out there. And now I'm thinking, you know, they got some smallies out there. Like, that'd be interesting. You know, I would think, yeah. you know, without looking it up. With the power of the internet at my fingertips, some fingers a little lazy right now. Uh, I think this is working. Yeah. So this is the Roku that uh, Will was talking about. It's kind of like your, you know, wacky rigged worm. Uh, yeah. You know, Texas rig. Yeah, it looks cool. It- Senko is like the Senko, common yeah. terminology, but like, you know, it's their typical five five inch worm, which is super cool. Yeah, like it's crazy. Like I didn't realize Will was so influential. Yeah, you know a lot of these markets. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's nuts, man. I think a lot of this stuff gets developed overseas before they uh, before they come and hit stateside. I think a lot of companies are picking stuff up over there and then bringing it here. He was yeah. talking about the Reaper, right? Yeah, he talked yeah. about a few of them. Yeah, I think he was um, about the Reaper, I'm going to pull this up too um yeah it's just interesting to to see how that stuff kind of transfers over you know it's not something you uh you think about so to speak but i I remember him talking about that turtle too like when i remember seeing that back in the you know a few years back and i was like i was like that's an interesting take because when you really think about it i mean bass are gobbling up anything that'll fit in their mouth anyway yeah, this is the Reaper here. It's a nice chunk type crawl imitation yeah. to throw on the back of any jig for yeah. sure. I know I got a bunch of those and 
I'm sure uh, Will's going to talk about it, but the uh, I've thrown a few of uh, their Devastators as well, which are pretty cool. And I'll you could probably punch with this too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know Will's still kind of figuring this out. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff, though. They do a lot. I mean, I know, like, you know, Rodney loves a lot of their stuff. I mean, who's Rodney? I know. I know. Just some Rodney guy. Who? Rodney who? Rodney who? Rodney Hicks. That's a devastator. That I've never known his last name. I've just. Really? Guy always says, like, hi to me. I'm like, hi. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Oh, that's I don't know. hilarious. Like, I, I feel compelled to talk to him because he seems all right. That's hilarious. <laughs> What's up, Rod? <laughs> hey, Will. Um, I don't know. He can't hear us. I'm going to boot him and hopefully he yeah. comes back in. That might fix his problem. Um, I'm going to kick him out of the studio. Having some StreamYard technical difficulties. Hopefully he figures that out and comes back in. Uh, yeah, dude, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know, man. I've never really uh, thought about all that, you know overseas type stuff except for like i talked about the the japanese stuff has been become hugely popular you know uh mega bass was the other one i was thinking about you know where you're seeing a lot of that stuff stuff crossing over and you're seeing a lot more um companies that you actually think are american based but they're made overseas like will was talking about um you know kind of picking up on those those uh bait styles so to speak yeah kind of like well gamagatsu too right yeah gamagatsu i mean there's there's a ton of yeah. them out there. i got some of their jerk baits they work really well i like their got the slow sinking jerk baits but yeah you know but it, it's funny too like a lot of the japanese baits are like kind of and they kind of all have you know the same like eye structure i want to stay pc yeah. but they all like you know they all kind of you know I don't know how else to say it. They're very distinct, <laughs> you know, but uh, no, I mean, good, good stuff coming out of there, but you know, it would be interesting to see some of the Korean stuff like hit stateside. Yeah. 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 You know, some more of the specialty, you know, items, but you know, I think a lot of that stuff's on Amazon, you know, when you're going through some of the, cause I mean, I've gotten, you know, cause some, you know, some more of the hard-bodied, you know, like swim bait type stuff, and a lot of that stuff is like the multi-jointed. I, I mean, I know a lot of that stuff's made in China, but um, you know, I would imagine that it's got a lot of uh, influence from from Asia just in general. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know? But yeah, there's some there's some really good stuff on here. Got some dead space when we're talking. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> we're all looking at stuff. But uh, trying trying to get Will back in here. Like so the little boy looks works. like something that a lot of people would be throwing. Yeah, here I can pull yeah, some it's of this very, stuff. It's very techy. It's got that that rib. You know, you got some drop. Yeah, shot. swim bait. Yeah, you got some uh, the lagging dragon. There's a lot of good stuff on here. I think that devastator would be a great punching. Yeah, dude, that thing is uh, pretty slick. I uh, I've thrown that a few times with like a. Uh, uh, tungsten weight pegged in front of it and uh just kind of you know hopping it on the bottom um mm. worked super good um yeah chris cool. is saying that uh chris josh josh yeah. 
I don't yeah. want to jack up your name, Chris. Sorry. And by the way, thanks for the happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, you too, Duke. <laughs> and yes, it's the fabulous neck beard. I didn't yeah. even shave today. I didn't even care. I was just like, I was like, oh yeah, we're doing a podcast. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that thing looks cool. Yeah, the little boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sweet, slick little swim bait, but that that kind of kink in the in the center of it, I'm mm -hmm. sure, adds some action. Here, let's see if we got Will back. I'm back. You got it, Will? There Sweet. you go. Right on, man. For whatever reason, my computer literally dropped all sound cards, period. Ooh. So see, I don't... Remember what we <laughs> talked about right before you started? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the funny thing was is the, uh, the, the mic was working fine. So yeah. it was the camera. Yeah, yeah we could was, hear you loud and clear, man. It was yeah. just my headphones. Whatever, It wouldn't send any output audio at all. That's are you, interesting. Are, are you on the DSLR right now? No, this is my phone. So, oh, it's your phone. Yeah, oh, man, it looks pretty decent, man. <laughs> Thanks. He's, he's in Tulsa the Apple phone next. <laughs> it is <laughs> iPhone 11, <laughs> the new and improved. Yeah, very cool, man. Well, we were just uh kind of talking about some of the baits as uh as you were uh getting logged back in here, man. Fiddling around, yeah, yeah. yeah we were uh, I think like where you left off was um when you came back to the states and then you just started with Doomsday. Yeah, the Roku and the Reaper. I saw you guys kind of yeah. look those up on the yep. Yep. on the thing. And um, yeah, so my philosophy when I was designing baits came from my time there in Asia, right? So <coughs> we would... Um, the interesting thing about the Korean market is they really like that Japanese style, that Japanese-esque um, type product, but they don't really want to pay Japanese prices for it, right? Right. Um, this is true. That stuff is pretty crazy. Expensive. Well, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, because their culture there is they want the highest quality possible. The dollar value kind of has a social status aspect to it, right? And so, in Asia, social status is is extremely, you know, powerful cultural thing. And um, they um, they don't buy a lot of it, right? So, it's there's not a guy out there who's got unless you're a professional fisherman or something like that. They don't have a guy, you don't have, the average guy doesn't have, you know, 15 rods, you know, in his rod locker, or if he even has a bass boat at all, right? It's one or two, maybe two piece rods that he uses for multiple, you know, things, but those are going to be like $1,200 rods, right? So, <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of their, their thing there. But, um, you know, with, with Korea, they like that same quality, but they don't want to pay those prices for it. Um, you know, they're, they want more of American style price points, right? Like good qualities two, $300, you know, um, stuff like that. So that was kind of my, my design technique. So for us, you know, Japanese JDM type tackle is kind of a luxury thing here, but for them, that was our everyday competition, right? So, it wasn't, you know, Pure Fishing being the biggest bait brand in the United States, you know, Berkeley being the biggest bait brand in the United States. Um, really only seeing um, competition from Strike King, whose products are, while different, very similar in design and, and application. Um, you know, those are, it's our everyday competition was, you know, Nori's, OSP, um, Jackal, you know, all that high-end stuff was our normal competition. So kind of tying back into why I was, 
good for the Japanese market and the Korean market to be able to tell the U.S. why the products that they had didn't work here. Mm -hmm. It's because, um, you know, Zoom is a monster here, right? As far as like bass fishing soft plastics, probably the largest in the country. Zoom products don't even sell in Japan, right? You have, you have these guys who are kind of into American tackle and they'll buy it but they don't even have their own distributor in Japan. It's not even called Zoom because I think there's a trademark in Japan on Zoom. It's called ZBC, right? So it's Zoom Bait Company, right? So that's the name okay. of the brand of Zoom in Japan. Um, you know, Gary Yamamoto. In Japan, they don't think of Gary Yamamoto as a Japanese brand. That's an American brand, right? Because Gary Yamamoto lives in America. He fishes in America. He fished in America. Um, in fact, the packaging color is completely different for the Japanese market design products and the American design products for huh. even Gary Yamamoto. Um, so the Japanese market is extremely picky. So attention to detail. Um, so on, on a uh, soft plastic, you have the flash, which is the leftover injection kind of skin that's around the seam of the bait, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, bait can have zero flash. If it has any extra extrusion on the outsides, the customer won't buy it. I mean, look at a Kitek bait, right? And look at the outside edge of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's no extra excess, right? It's clean all the way around. Um, not to knock them about this, and I've, I've talked to them about it, and they know. Um, they know very well that um, what I'm about to say, but pull, go, go grab a, power, a bag of power bait and look at the amount of extra um, you know, plastic that's around the seam of the bait. Yeah. Um, um, you know, the Japanese customers just don't, don't like that. So, um, you gotta, you gotta be really intentional with your detail. Um, <clears throat> Brian's trying to fix his lighting there for, Sorry. uh, we had an emergency warning for a severe thunderstorm. So um, my phone kind of oh. stopped for a second, but um, in case you yeah. black out at one point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As power goes out. I'll have to get the generator, but um, I am doomsday tackle after all. I'm prepared for that. Yeah. Kind of stuff, so. yeah you're prepared. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So they have a, they just have a really high standard. So my goal for doomsday tackle was, you know, the turtle was great um, in its time, but it really only kind of appealed to, um, I guess you could say kind of like the country angler. Uh, for instance, when we had the doomsday turtle, it was, um, um, I think the first time that I could really see that difference was at the uh, Bassmaster Classic in Tulsa in 20, 2016. I think I believe that's what it was. Um, and uh, they, uh, if the guy was wearing coveralls, he was buying five bags of turtles. If he was wearing a jersey, he was buying five bags of the Rokus and the Reapers, right? So there's a difference between that, that tournament angler mindset and the, uh, you know, the guys that like to buy Shakespeare combos at Walmart. I mean, that's, uh, most people don't realize that, you know, Pure fishing is one of their highest revenue producing brands of Shakespeare. 
I mean, they are selling the snot out of cheap line and, and $25 combos. I mean, that's where the volume, you know, is at, right? Um, Arbor Garcia gets close and Berkeley gets close just because of the, um, you know, the cost difference in those brands, you know, everything in Arbor Garcia, I think the cheapest thing in Arbor Garcia is what, maybe $79 or something like that. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, so my model for doomsday was to try to get Japanese quality at an American price point. Right. So, um, it's a trend that's kind of started now. I think we were probably one of the first brands to do it domestically. Um, but you know, even inside the zipper bag, they have trays. Um, I think, uh, rage started doing it around the same time that we did. Um, but you'll have inside the package, there's a tray that holds the bait and shape so that when you pull that crawl, that crawl bait out of the package, you're not getting, you know, curled over, um, um, stuff like that. Yeah. So that's one of the first things we did. Um, that's the turtle there. I was looking for yeah. one. Yeah. The, uh, why we don't do that anymore is, um, you know, one of our partners who was, who, who had designed that, that particular bait, you know, like I said, that was there before, before I got there. Um, he kind of wanted to go in a different direction. You know, we wanted to kind of go in a, in a tournament focus mid to high end range, whereas he kind of wanted to focus on the, on the other stuff. And so, yeah, we just said, Hey, you know, go ahead and, and so he's still doing his own thing. You can still get the turtle now. I think it's under a different name or something like that, but, um, yeah, so we, we continue to focus on, you know, turnip brands. And so within our first year, I don't even think we'd been in business a full year. We ended up getting 700 pegs or no, 40, seven pegs in 700 Dick Sporting Goods stores across the United States. Oh, wow. So we have, yeah, that's a big jump from a tiny yeah. little company to right. going to be in every Dick store across the United States. A lot of pressure too. It, it sure. probably wasn't the smartest idea to do at the time, because I just don't think that we were ready uh, financially and um, um, logistically to handle that volume of business. But when, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're, and you're excited about yeah. success, you kind of like, well, let's, let's risk it, right? Let's jump sure. in and, and take a chance. Um, <laughs> and for 2017, it was great. We had a great year. Um, not only did we get into exporting goods, but we got into, you know, um, Cabela's. Gander Mountain, um, Shields. Um, you guys have probably Shields up your way. Um, yeah, there's some some south and west of us. Yeah, I think Springfield. I think they got one Springfield. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a great year. Um, but then we had some some factory issues. Um, so me coming from Asia, I knew I know all of the Asian factories. And so it was just easy. Not only did I already have working relationships with all those factories, um, but um, it saves it saves a lot of money on mach on machine tooling. So yeah. people think that it's the labor that's really cheap from from manufacturing uh, in Asia, but it's really not. It's really the, the tooling. Yeah. Um, so it costs about ten thousand dollars ish, depending on the mold, to get a a full production mold done here in the US. Well, over there it's two, $2,000. And if you buy $50,000 worth of product, they'll give you a $2, $2,000 credit. So basically you're getting it for the free. mold for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really the major ex 
expense, right? Because I mean, you're buying the product. I mean, that's an expense too, but the mold is just kind of sitting out there and gets amortized across the entire lifespan of that, that product. So, um, you know, it's, it's really dependent on, on, um, sorry, I got customers telling me, <laughs> uh, it was really, that's the problem with doing this on your phone, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Stop giving away the secrets. <laughs> um, they had, uh, I forgot what I was talking about now. Um, factories, mold costs, development. Yeah. So you have these, um, we, we, we made to do when we worked overseas is we used all U S materials, right? So our plastic all comes from the U S okay. our dyes and coloring come from the U S I designed the base in the U S they're really only, it's kind of like the Apple thing on the back of the phone, right? Designed by Apple, mm. uh, um, assembled in, in China. Right. So, so how do they feel about that? Right. Like, it, do they kind of frown upon that because no. It's all U.S. materials, and you're shipping them over there to be made. Whereas, you know, they may no. feel they could supply just as good or better. Or how does that work? I mean, they really can't, right? So, if you ever noticed, I'm getting I'm getting real down into the details now. But if you ever smell a bait when it comes yeah. out of the bag, and it kind of smells like hairspray, yeah, that's because they're using Chinese plastic. Plastic, salt, okay, right. But if you pull out a bait and it smells kind of like nothing, or maybe has a little bit of a sweet smell, mm -hmm. that's because it's been it's using a, a, a American plasticizer and American heat stabilizer. So there's a heat stabilizer okay. in the in the in the injection process. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a big difference, and then the colors too. Um, if you get good dyes from the U.S., um, even if a bait is say watermelon red and another one is white they don't bleed onto each other hmm. but if you'll notice that they, if you get like a chartreuse bait and a white bait and you leave them sitting on top for each other or, or a red bait and you yeah, pull them and apart bleed over yeah they bleed over on each other um that's just the quality of of the dye and so <clears throat> i always i always kind of joked with the guys at pure fishing and i told them they need to stop paying salaries and start charging tuition um <laughs> because a, a, a lot if you look in the industry at their major competition i would say a good 75 percent of those people worked for them at one point in time 13 mm -hmm. fishing lose sure. right these are all people who worked for you know berkeley arbor garcia shakespeare and moved out myself as far as doomsday is concerned and moved out and started doing their own things so it really is because there is no major in college for bait design right you can't right, go be right. a bait designer Sure. Um, it's it was kind of like studio engineering, you know, fifteen that's, years ago, right? Yeah. That's your million dollar idea, bro. Yeah. Bait designing one hundred and one. Bait design college classes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's because there is. There's a lot of so I, I learned so much and so quick. I mean, I'm, I'm if I have one talent, it's probably my ability to learn. So I just love. I'm one of those guys who can spend fifteen hours on YouTube just following the rabbit trail yeah, down yeah, into yeah. absolute ridiculousness um <laughs> i've always been that way even when i was a kid my my uh i was probably 12 and my favorite show to watch was 2020 you guys remember 2020 yeah, yeah. What, I, don't, I don't know how many 12 year olds yeah. watch 2020 but it was one of my things so i'd always spout these facts of 
you know, well, I saw in 2020, it's kind of like the Wikipedia guys now, right? Like what Wikipedia <laughs> right, says. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of my personality. So, um, I, I always, I, I absorbed as much information from anybody as I could as fastly as I could. And it's really helped. And so one of my other roles when working for, you know, so not only was I the Berkeley brand business corner for, uh, Asia, I was still the product manager for Korea locally. And I was also in charge of um, QC, so quality control with all the manufacturers. Sure. So not only did I get to experience the bait and the fishing line firsthand, right? So all of the fishing line came from Spirit Lake and in, in Iowa, because there's not there's very few factories in the world that make fluorocarbon and, and braided line. Yeah. Um, actually extrude it themselves, right? Other people will pull in the materials and do different things, but um, mm -hmm. and so we got all of our line from from Spirit Lake. Uh, from the Berkeley factory in Spirit Lake. And I was also in charge of all the QC. So, um, you know, accessories, rods, I had to deal with the manufacturing process for all of those. So that's really how we got into, um, you know, you know, making rods and stuff like that. He's so ready. Yeah, I'm ready. He's like, you know, <laughs> just you know he's a different kind of vanna <laughs> um yes yeah, so, i mean this is our 47 um and so not not only did i learn the the japanese style so the thing that makes our rods different like a lot of people say okay you're a new company you're a bait company and i and actually there's a lot of stores that wouldn't carry our rods at first um because we um we were known as a bait company and we weren't popular as a, as a rod company. So with, uh, but the thing that makes ours different is in Japan, there is a patent on fishing guides, a local patent. Hmm. So you can't use any other guides or any other real seat than Fuji or you'll be sued. <laughs> so it's kind of like the chatterbait thing here in the U S right. So, yeah. um, they have a patent on guides. So at any price point, whether it's $60 or a thousand dollars, they all have Fuji guides. Whereas Fuji guides here in the U S are something that kind of pops up on premium products, right? Like over a $200 price point, then you might get the high end Fuji KR guides. Mm -hmm. um, well there that's, that's not the case. So you have to really learn how to make, you know, high quality rod at a reasonable price point. So like with our rod, we have, it's a, it's a, I say it's a 30 or 40, 30 ton blank. And most companies, when they say a 40 ton, um, because all rods are kind of made similarly, right? There's no reinventing the wheel. People sure. try, uh, you know, like carrot sticks when it first came out, people try to reinvent the wheel sometimes and it doesn't go very well. Usually, um, sometimes you'll get lucky, but so when a company says the rod is a 40 ton rod, that means that it's, you know, from you know, the, from here to usually about where that first wrap is on the rod, that section will be 40 ton. And then it, as it, as it goes up and up the rod, the tonnage will drop. And that's simply because, uh, the higher the tonnage of carbon fiber, the more stiff it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the more brittle it becomes. So if you were to have a rod that was like 46 ton all the way to the tip, we actually tried to do that once in Korea and it did turn out very good. The tips will break off super easy. Um, so yeah, 
but what we do is I do things a little bit differently and we call it, we call our SMR tech blanks. And what that means is it stands for like a superior mix ratio. So we have a spine of 40 ton that runs all the way to the tip. So the rod isn't hundred percent 40 ton here and hundred percent something else there and hundred percent something else there. It's a mixture that, that allows us to run a 40 ton spine or what I like to call it. It's kind of like thinking of as a guitar string. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, it's not a solid spine. I mean, there's not a solid tube of graphite running through the middle of our rods, although that would be cool to, to play around with. Um, um, but there is a 40 ton spine that runs all the way through. So you have a guitar string that has that center wire and all the other wires are wrapped around it. So that's kind of what we do. And so that 40 ton, what it does is it gives you extremely high sensitivity, but you have the strength of, of you know, cheaper rods. So if you'll notice it's the, it's the, you know, the Shakespeare's, the $25 rods, and those rods don't break very often, right? Because a lot yeah. of those are composite. That's a mixture of fiberglass and graphite together. And then even like your Mojo Bass type rods, you might have a tip or something like break off, but you're never going to break one, you know, down, down here. And that's because it's, you know, 30 ton to 20, 26 ton low, low modulus graphite. Um, with that, you get good durability, but you lose sensitivity. And so what makes our special and the reason why at $150 it fishes like a 300 and $400 rod all day long. And that sounds like a marketing mumbo jumbo, but game and fish magazine chose our spinning rods. Cause that was the ones they tested. It's the same blank, same process as the best spinning rod at any price point for 2018, 2019. <laughs> um, and the reason why is, is because, um, you know, the balance point's good. It's really light. Um, it's super durable. I don't know. There's some videos out there, on, I think, on our YouTube channel where I'm boat flipping a full-size mannequin with our 7-8 flipping stick. So the mannequin weighs 40 pounds, and I'm up on the balcony in our old warehouse, and I literally, you know, I, I, I reel down with braid, and I'm lifting, I'm lifting this mannequin up in the air and swinging it left to right. Um... um uh, not too long ago on Instagram, I put out a video where um, I tried to do the same thing with one of our spinning rods and a 20 pound dumbbell. Um, but the spinning reel that I was using, the, the, uh, the, the drag wasn't heavy enough to lift, the, to lift the, the dumbbell off the ground, but the rod didn't break. The line did. I was using 30 pound braid and it snapped, um, but they weren't, it wasn't, the drag didn't work out. So I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to find like a saltwater reel and, re and try to redo that, that test sometime. Um, but yeah, I mean, our spinning reels, spinning rods are really the same. Um, you know, for, so you're getting for that 150 bucks, you get Fuji KR co concept guides. So um, a Fuji guide, the KR guide is, that's their most expensive frame. It come, it'll come in different materials like stainless steel, titanium, stuff like that. And it has an alkanite ring and you can change the ring insert and go from their um, zirconium to, you know, SIC. We use alkanite, which is um, uh, their, so in the ceramic range, it's the lowest, it's aluminum oxide ceramic mix. Um, but it, I would say it's a mere mid tier ring, but it's, it's more reliable than the SIC rings. They tend to the silicon carbide rings, if you ever noticed, they'll take, you'll lose a, a, uh, the insert will pop out of the guide yeah. Yeah. fairly frequently. Um, 
And that's just because of the size. So at a rod at this price point, we wanted it to be kind of like our Toyota Tracel or Toyota Corolla, right? It's not, it's a nice car, but it's not, not the most flashy, but it's reliable. Sure. Right? You can drive it till the wheels fall off. Right? right. So that's kind of for us, that's what this price point was. Um, so, and you get our, the, the carbon fiber that we use. So all the components, just like with our baits, we're basically everything except for the bag is made in the United States or, or made from us materials. Um, all of our rods are, are made with Japanese materials. Um, because when it comes to carbon fiber, Japan is the best at making carbon fiber in the world. Right. So, um, as far as guides are concerned, um, there, are, there are a couple of American companies that have, um, like American tackle company and some other people that have, um, some decent guides, but Fuji is, it's the industry standard, right? So, um, Fuji real seats are the exact same. So we do all that stuff. We use all of our stuff has, um, you know, premium AAA cork, you know, that's, it's not pity or anything like that. It's, um, nice and sanded smooth. Um, I mean, it does have some fillers in it, but all cork does. Um, we don't use any rubber, um, winding checks on the rod at all. Okay. So I'm about to get into more details here. Some people may find boring, but to me, this stuff is entertaining, right? So I like to, I like to talk about the details. So if you think about, um, your fishing rod as being a, like I said, a guitar string, right? So anytime that rod moves, it moves, not just the tip, but that vibration runs up and down the rod back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So in Japan, they actually have machines where they'll actually attach the blank, the bare blank into at the backside and it will be suspended in midair. So nothing's touching it kind of like a free float bear on an AR or something like that. Right. Um, and they'll test to see the, the percentage of vibrations that run down the rod. So if you hmm. go to Japan and you find a rod that has a hook keeper tied onto it, um, I'll buy it from you because it, it doesn't happen. Because anything that you attach to this rod, whether it be a sticker, paint, sanding the blank or not sanding the blank, um, thread wrap, winding checks, and then the material will um, will uh, dampener, right? Yeah, yeah. It reduces the amount of vibration that you can feel through the blank. So with the with the concept guide spacing, a lot of people think that that's not important. So if you'll ever look at guides with a KR, so these are KR guides with the concept spacing. So what Fuji has done is they've actually put blanks in, and they've actually calculated. So if you think of sound waves as being a, uh, you know, a modular frequency, the guides are placed at the heights of that frequency, so you're not losing as much vibration from where the guides are placed um on the blank itself um that's crazy yeah and so that's why we don't have a hook keeper people ask us sometimes um why we don't first of all me personally i've rarely ever used used one consistently maybe at the end of the day i'll stick it in there or do whatever 
but most of the time I'm just dropping it on, you know, reeling the bait up to, to the tip, throwing it on the deck of my boat. Um, or I'm just using the guide, right? So sure. we have, we have double footed with other guides that aren't double footed. <clears throat> you can't really do that, but you can place a hook right inside this double uh, footed guide yeah, yeah, and you're sure. not hurting the ring at all, right? You're right. attaching it to the legs. That doesn't hurt at all. L let me ask a tech question. Sure. So, oh boy. Oh boy. Well, you know, the, the higher, well, the more higher end rods yeah. usually have more eyes. Um, as far as that goes, uh, would you like, would the, the science that's built into that actually change the, the composite of the blank? You know, and I'm speaking to what you just said in terms of, you know, how the, the vibrations travel through the blank. And you were saying that there's, you know, very specific placing of the eyes and how they're put on there and, and even to the rise of them. Mm -hmm. So if you went with more eyes, even at the same length, would the material change within the blank, especially how it's wrapped, how you were saying, like, as a guitar string? Um, and would the eye material also change with that, you know, that upgrade? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so most of the time they do. A lot of the times you put more expensive components to raise the price, right? So retail value, most of the time, depending on the company, is it really depends on on the cost. So they have a, the company has a specific margin that they have to hit. Sure. So sure, sure, sure. It costs this much. The margin has to be this much. That means the retail price has to be that much. And then if you have a big brand, it's like plus another 30 percent for our, our name power, right? Um, they but for as far as tech technically is concerned um that's why i just follow the fuji you know why why try to do something marketing special when the company who makes these guides has done robotic testing to find out so the fuji kr concept guide spacing system that fuji's created will actually tell you based on the length of the rod, not necessarily the material, how many guides should be on there and where based on the length of the rod. So yeah. if our rod, if we plan on coming out with probably next spring, a higher model than this at around the $220 price point um, that will have, you know, Torzite and titanium frames and the new Fuji, um, TSS real seat type stuff, PTS and TSS. Um, so better components than what's on here, more of kind of like the sports car where this is the reliable, you know, sedan. Um, and then after that, we'll probably come out with our, you know, Jeep type sport utility vehicle that's at a lower price point, but real, you know, real durable, something that you can whack against the truck and you don't have to worry about it it breaking um well i mean and i was asking the question because i've always associated with more eyes on the rod to relieve the stress of the line running through the rods because we've all like you know used the shakespeare rods where you got like five eyes and you can see that there's clear like there's like angling on the line as you you know when you're catching a fish or you know well i guess mostly when you're when you're bringing in a fish you know but then is you know the more expensive rods get you get more eyes and it seems like the torque on the string is much more forgiving. Um, and plus, I know that has a lot to do with the material that's actually in the eyes, too. 
um, you know, to to make it to where you're not damaging the line by fishing through it. Sure. And, I mean, that's how I thought of it, you know, when I associate. Because when I look at a rod, I go, oh, that one's got like nine eyes. That must definitely be more expensive, which it almost usually is. Um, and that's why I was asking well, the question and initially. The real, the real reason is because the most expensive component on the rod is the guides. So literally, I can have... I can reduce the cost of this rod by probably $50 by removing two guides. Hmm. And huh. that's how, you know, after you have all the increases from margins, right? But from the cost, remove two guides and you could, I could bring down this price to a hundred bucks, right? So that's probably the number one reason. We don't go with that. So this is a $150 rod, dollar rod that has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, nine, nine plus a few. Nine plus tip, right? Is how they call it. Um, and that's because that's what Fuji calls for. So regardless of how much it costs me, that's what Fuji calls for. Um, so I save price. I really don't save a lot of price. I mean, we're a smaller brand, so our margins aren't, we don't have name power. So I don't have an extra 20, 30% cushion in there like everybody else does. But, um, (laughs) and that's really, so, I mean, we won in 2016, 2017, was it 2017 maybe when we first um did this at in, in the trade at a Pittman creek wholesale show we won best rod for, for for that year when this first first debuted you know before it hit the market um and i had guys from other brands come over and tell me that i was giving them away you're at that price with what what that rod is you're giving them away hmm. and it's like i'm not quite giving them away but um, I'm glad that it upset you, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing um, something right. Yeah. Um, and that real seat's a Fuji real seat, right? Yeah, Fuji ECS. Uh, Fuji ECS is kind of like, you know, it's the good year of real seats, sure. right? Like it's your right. standard. Um, I'm not a real big fan of the ACS, which is the one that came the generation after this because it has those finger bumps here. And, and if your hand doesn't fit that exactly, so if you don't mm-hmm. have an average Asian man size hands it's it's uncomfortable right mm-hmm. um so the generation the newest generation that came out like two years ago um that that's a really good real seat the um vss and vts uh real seats those are really good real seats and that's what we'll have that's their high end now um but yeah so like if you ever if you put we use we have all aluminum winding checks so nice. you know the, the place that you know marks the rod here and that's because you have to if you have to put something on the rod like you have to put something here or you'll get damage to um the cork especially on cork rods eva is a little you can get away with not having winding checks as much mm-hmm. um but you have to protect the edges of that otherwise it starts to, to crack and crack all the way up and peel off so some, there's some things that you have to do um but if you use materials to transmit vibration better I was just going to ask that. Yeah. You're not losing as much. You're still losing. And, sure. and that's the same thing with the question, kind of like we asked for with the guys, right? So mm-hmm. um, with a with an alkanite, um, with an aluminum oxide, this is your know, braid ready. So it's not going to get torn up by, you know, the particulates that, that bind to the braid. And it's not the braid itself that cuts your guides. It's the, yeah. the sand and gravel and dirt and... Mm-hmm. And, and particulates in the water that get absorbed by the braid and then they run through your kind of like sandpaper through your through your guides and that's what will cut up so anything alkanite or higher 
is not going to damage the the ring itself. Stuff other than that or cheap. Sometimes you can get it's S, it's silicone carbide, but it's it's not good quality. I mean, there's always a quality in the material that you have to worry about too. Um, but like I said, Fuji is you know bases their stuff on quality, so I it, it's just a company. It's a component company that I can trust, right? So Keegan, it's a Korean company. I actually know the owner. I've met him several times. Um, they have good guides, but you know, when they first started out, they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of issues with the quality of their um, their SIC. Um, most of the SIC in the world is mined from Korea. So um, you know, even the guys in in China are buying the the material to make the inserts themselves um, from Korea. So. But yeah, I mean, we just we just try to make sure that everything, you know, if you put a rubber winding check on a rod, you know, that's going to absorb a lot of vibration compared to aluminum. Um, you know, the thread, you know, we try to keep it to the the minimum amount possible. Um, a lot of times in this in this label section, where you have the sticker with the information. Honestly, if I didn't have to put that on there, I I would, but people tend to like to know what rod they're fishing. So I've kind of yeah, it. Right. Um, um, but a lot of times you'll notice that the epoxy that runs from the, the, the real seat winding check to that, to that first wrap over here. Mm -hmm. So I keep going this way, but it's, I have to pull it this way for you to see um, that, that epoxy will cover that whole space mm -hmm. or stops here and starts here and then stops here. So it doesn't, you know, yeah, we re I've seen remove, that on a lot of rods. We remove as much, you know, I told them, I said, I don't want epoxy on the rod unless it has to be there. Like, I wanted to get rid of this whole wrap. But what it is, is there's a sticker, right? This print here is really kind of like a water transfer sticker. And if you don't wrap something at the end of it, it'll start mm. to peel up, mm. right? Gotcha. Um, so, like, Arbu Garcia, I think when they had the, that gray rod, the, the one above the Veritas, maybe the villain or something like that. Um, they had heat transferred graphics, but that's why they were solid white, right? You can't do multiple yeah. colors. And so they didn't have any epoxy. And that was really nice. I like the feel of that being completely slick and smooth. But if you want color graphics on there, you kind of have to go with, you know, you can do black, you can do white, you can do solid gray, you can do solid red, but you can't, can't do multiple colors unless it's, it's a printed graphic that's, you know, um, hmm. on there too. And I told them, I said, I don't want, um, I want a vinyl transfer label. I don't want a sticker that wraps all the way around and you can see a seam on the backside. Like I don't sure. minimal, minimal. Yeah, Everything is okay. minimal as far as, um, removing, um, um, the, uh, the vibrations of the rod. I mean, even to the, it's kind of hard to see it from back there, but even the back is a, you know, aluminum, aluminum. yeah, laser etched. That's cool. The, you know, the, the nut cap there, it's try to get the light. It's got DT Co laser engraved into the aluminum. So, I mean, we just put a lot of detail in it. Stuff that you don't normally find at a hundred. I mean, we're talking Mojo, Mojo rod prices or yeah, stuff like that. But it's, it's for any other brand. If you match the quality and stuff like that, it, uh, it's a 250 rod all day long. But. Yeah, I don't think people really realize. I mean, I never realized how much goes into 
making efficient, right? I mean, obviously, I knew there was just the fact that there's carbon, you know, carbon fiber involved, um, you know, or even graphite, any of that stuff. I mean, those are all pretty complex materials to intertwine, especially if you got fiberglass involved too. But I mean, it's you are a wealth of knowledge, my friend. Yeah, you have heck yeah. a lot <laughs> in that head of yours. Right. I am a, like I said, I like to absorb it. I'm a sponge for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it interests me, right? So that's what that's what excites me. Yeah. It's probably the only thing that gets excited. You could hand me a check for a million dollars. I'm like, cool, thanks. And I'll go deposit <laughs> it and spend it, right? Yeah. I'll be happy that I have it and spend yeah. it, but I'm not going to like flip out, right? So like, uh, I, why, I, I, I hate it that I always forget things. This is what happens when you speak a foreign language for 15 years. But um <laughs> Uh, what's his name? The guy that won the Bassmaster Classic. Oh, that's a lot of people. But when he won, his face was very like bland and boring. Oh yeah, yeah. It has a real thick country accent. I think he's from like Louisiana or something like that. Um, I don't remember his name. But anyway, when he won, everybody else were like, "Yeah, you know, screaming, throwing yeah. it up." When he won, he was like. Right, like that's me, right? Like that's yeah. he's like, thanks. He's like, I don't know why it took this long. I'll see you. Cliff Pace. Yeah. Cliff I'm Pace. hungry. I'm going yeah. to get some food. Yeah, that's right. But Cliff he, Pace yes. was his name. Yeah. Yeah. So Cliff Pace was his name, right? So when he won that. So yeah, I mean, I just I don't I don't my wife gets mad at me all the time because she'll be like, Hey, guess what? And I'm like, What? Yeah. She'll tell me, I'm like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. And she's like, you don't care? I'm like, no, I care. I'm just, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, well, you sound like you're the proper person to be in the position that he's in. And it's still, it's, you know, you, you're, you're like one of the, you're like one of the quiet heroes, dare I say it, yeah. behind the scenes that no one even knows, you know? Right. And then to hear you say it, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I got like six or eight things, you know, six or eight designs out there in Japan they're using even to today. And, Berkeley's got some of my stuff and you know, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, really? You know, I mean, yeah. that's pretty cool, dude. I mean, it's you I mean, know that's uh, when I, you should be like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you definitely good got job, I mean, Will. <laughs> yeah, your resume in the fishing world is probably nuts. Um, I mean, you're de you definitely should be a sought after, you know, kind of guy. Maybe for that million bucks, you know. I hope hey, I'd hope so. <laughs> You know, but no. somebody wants to come buy Doomsday off me. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Doomsday's like, what? The <laughs> you know? No, my partners are probably like, yeah. 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 Finally, uh, the headache yeah. is going yeah. away. No, I mean, and you guys are turning out great products. I mean, everything looks clean, and it's really cool yeah. to know that, you know, that there's such attention to detail, and there's yeah. reasons behind that detail. Um, you know, and, and knowing what you're really trying to do with your product. I mean, that's, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, it's definitely commendable. Um, yeah, I mean, our know. baits are the exact same way too, right? Everybody talks about yeah. matching the hatch and everybody's yeah. worried about color and all of that is a bunch of marketing baloney. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you really, if you, if you go to, I, mean, I wish they would, I think there's a couple of videos of, of their lab uh, at Spirit Lake on YouTube that you might be able to go find. Um, but they have a guy named Doc Jones, right? He's an actual doctor. And he was the person in charge of, he, he may have retired, I'm not sure, but he was the person who, you know, developed gulp, developed power bait, um, you know, all of that stuff. And they actually have this circular swimming pool with like horse stalls in the middle of it where they put fish 
and they have a robot that pulls that bait around the circle and they go to see what actions, different things um, uh, that cause the fish to strike. They have these, you know, hydro flow tanks where they run water at different speeds through and they'll suspend that crankbait or jerkbait. So when they're talking about science, I mean, they really do do science, right? So like I said, they ought to charge tuition because I learned a lot um, from being there. I learned a lot about how fish smell and how fish taste. So basically fish taste and they taste. They taste through their, their nories, which is their nostrils, and they taste with their mouth. But what they're really looking for is amino acids and electrolytes. That's all they're tasting, right? Um, they can't taste the difference between garlic and coffee and all of this other baloney. What they're tasting is the amino acids. So garlic is, has has sodium in it. And so sodium is an electrolyte and that's what the fish is sensing. So uh, that's salt. If, yeah. So that's why salt works. Gary Yamamoto um, has scent, even though his baits aren't scented, right? You can't smell them, but if you taste them, you're, <laughs> you're going to go drink a gallon of water because your mouth is going to be full of salt. Right? So um, and we do the same thing with, with our baits and I went a step further. Um, if, you'll, if you ever buy one of our baits and you roll it in your fingers and you see how fine the salt is, it's literally, it's almost as fine as flour. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like that orange movie theater popcorn salt that you put on there. It's super fine, but super, um, super salty. So what that does for our plastics, it makes it more durable. So the thicker, the bigger, the larger salt that you put in the plastic, so the salt granules crystals are floating around into the, in the plastic cell and it's injected into the bait. And as it hardens up, that salt fills up gaps and it basically turns that plastic into Swiss cheese. And that's why baits like Kytex and Gary on Mosa have really thick, large granule salt in their baits. It's great. It gives it a lot of weight and a lot of action. But as that salt starts to dissolve, after you've thrown that bait in the water for about 35 minutes, that salt starts to absolve in the water and it leaves you know, holes in the plastic. And that's why when you catch one fish, the bait breaks in half right. and, and you don't, you don't catch so many fish. So what I do is I put um, as much salt, if not more in my plastics, but it's so fine that the amount, the size of the holes that are left inside the plastic don't, um, you know, it's not as durable as a bait that doesn't have any salt in it. Sure. But it's far more durable than the baits that do have salt in it. Um, and so that, I mean, literally we have our 5.4 inch Roku is what, maybe five inch, five inches, five and a quarter inches long. So not that much longer than a Senko, about sure. half as thick, half as thick and weighs the same amount. Huh. And yet it's a lot more durable. You can literally yank on it and it's not going to, you know, snap in half. So. You know, it's, it's not a one fish, one bait type of a deal. Like a lot of those Japanese brands are. Yeah. It's more of a five to eight fish to one bait. Whereas you can get with baits that don't have any salt at all. You know, you can catch 12, 13 fish on the same bait and it's, but you're, you're not getting any, there's no scent, there's no action at all. Right. So you have to have you know, in hydrodynamics, it's all based on weight and water displacement. Right. So if you think of water, things that move through the water, move like an airplane or things through the air. So that with aerodynamics, there's hydrodynamics. And a lot of people talk about matching the hatch. Well, what I try to do is I try to match the vibration because bass feed 
60% of the time through their lateral lines. They're not looking with their eyes. They're feeling water displacement around them. And a crawfish, as it moves through the water, displaces water a certain way, right? I mean, how many times do you see minnows or crawfish doing this in, 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 the, uh, in the wild, right? Never. So, yeah, it's, you know, tight, hard flutters. So a lot of our baits have, you know, fisherman looks at it and says, oh, it doesn't have any action. No, it does have a lot more action. It displaces water in a more realistic way. And huh. So the fish bite on it. So and you got it. You have to judge soft plastics by the hardest day of the year. Right. So if yeah. the fish are biting, if the water temperature is warm, if, if, you know, if, if you find a school of them, you could catch a bass on a cigarette butt. Right. Yeah. Sure. Just throw it in there. Bare hook. It's on the hardest days of the year when the bite is slow. You can throw it in front of a fish's face and they don't want anything to do with it. That's how you can tell if the bait's good or not. Can't tell by if you catch 15 in one day in the middle of summer when the water's 80 degrees and they're just all sitting under your deck. Yeah. Your dock. I mean, that's just not, not how you that do it. Like, you have to, that was like me yesterday. I was on a heavily pressured water. Fish were slamming these schools of, these schools of uh, shad that were cruising by. I couldn't buy a hit. Like, yeah. I mean, I was, I would, there would be a mess. I mean, just after a boil, I throw the lure in there. They didn't want nothing to do with it. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, it gets to the point where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this, you know, hoping a fish will jump in the boat. (laughs) Yeah. But in that boil, in in that boil, they are, they're feeding on vibrations. And I bet if you were to find a bit of a, bait that displaced water like those boiling fish were you'd get bit yeah so and it's and we and because, brian knows me i, I suck yeah. at changing stuff up <laughs> so for but i mean and it, it has nothing to do with color and, and especially in that kind of thing because a bass they don't have 20 20 eyesight right they're not looking at each individual fish in this ball they're seeing i mean look at shad when they boil up at the surface it's a big black cloud Right? Yeah, you can't yeah. you can't tell where one starts and the other begins, right? Yeah. But what they're doing is they're sitting under that pod, and as one or two or a part of that, that's why you actually see. That's why they school because what you'll do is you'll have one, and it's usually the one that's flying out of the water. They'll have one. It's just like sharks. They'll have one ram the school, and that'll disperse. Mm-hmm. You know, one or two that'll pop off, and they can feel the ones and see the ones that are separate from that school that ball. The reason why they ball up is being in that ball protects them, the shad. It protects the yeah. shad. The bass don't know who's what, where's what, when, right? So they'll, they'll run into this pod and try to burst the shad out into, you know, get individuals to pop out. And then the other ones will come up and start, you know, eating those. And they'll just keep doing that. Mm. And so, I mean, it's, you know, that you have to think of it in a biological, scientific way if you sure. really want to be, you know, I don't know. I get into this, this, this is kind of stuff that I, I like. Gotcha. To, to, to I missed a golden so. opportunity yesterday. That's all. <laughs> like I, I was like, how am I not catching fish? They're everywhere around me. Like why? epically failed, <laughs> man. It was just driving me nuts. I mean, I almost thought, and I went to the waters going, this is slammed up. I got this. Yeah. I always catch a fish here, even when it sucks, you know? Yeah. And, and I thought I was throwing a 10 inch worm even. So, you know, got a couple hits, but once the boil started, cause I was, I mean, we're in kayaks. We can see these fish coming right underneath us, just huge clouds. And then you just hear the noises of the bass, and then you're seeing it. 
And I'm just like, I just couldn't put it together. I was like, why is this not working? It was driving me nuts. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Finally sure. gave up. I'm like, I don't know. So I have a question for you guys, though. Being in the in the kayak world, what are your guys' thoughts on kayak specific rods? Do you think there's a place for that, or is it just hype? So wash. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it really exists. Uh, and, and the reason why I say it is this: I mean, you know, the, the first instinct I think any rod maker is going to have is a short in the butt end. And what I've noticed is that if you are going to do that, and I haven't seen any. I mean, I don't know. Brian may have a uh, different, uh, you know, view on this, but I have not experienced a rod that is worthy of doing that with where you're not losing the balance. Like what I've always noticed is that these rods are always so forward heavy. It's uncomfortable and it starts tweaking your wrist after a while. And then you can't really get that action. And then you find yourself going right back to these, these yeah, regular rods. rods. Now well, I'll say I, this too: we're sitting down. Yeah, so you're so, up, right? So, so that tip heavy is really pulling on your. Yeah, but if you're like a bigger dude, like I mean, I am. Yeah. Um, if I'm wearing a regular PFD, sometimes that bigger butt end is going to interfere with my sure. freaking stomach. You okay. know, I mean, it's like you know, with with the extra girth I put on with the PFD. So I mean, you know, some people have gotten used to it. I have a couple rods like that, and I know Brian's had some too. I don't agree with that path. I yeah. unless you can really f- like you know perfect that balance, I don't think it's possible. And I I think it's kind of just a, a dumb gimmick. You know, I yeah I think it's just a huge gimmick gimmick to the kayak market. You know, it's sure. uh, I, I've never had an issue with a butt end getting in my way. I mean. I think it depends too on posture, on the way you sit sure. in your seat and things like that. Um, but I've I've never never had an issue with it, and you know I've tried a couple. Um, it, one of them was with a rod company I used to work with, um, and somebody gave me one of those Mojo Bass ones, the Kayak Mojo Bass rod. Yeah, or something I don't like try out. And I was like, you can yeah. take this and shove it where the sun don't shine. Yeah. Like, sorry, Synchro, yeah. you know, but I mean, it's yeah, not, I mean, you know, I, I, I know people love them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I know some guys that, that, and gals that do, you know, appreciate that style setup. But I, I think like Jay said, is it just, it totally throws off the balance of the rod. Oh, you oh know? absolutely. It's, it does. Yeah. It, you know, and, and when you're throwing off that balance, you're, losing some sensitivity i feel and you're gonna miss some hookups like and and, and, you know even like even to sorry to keep slamming st croix but they're mojo bass no you're not you're not i I mean i don't know like well i know tanner loves them i mean sorry tanner but i mean it's like they're one finesse rod i'm like how is this a finesse rod it doesn't it feels like a freaking stick and it's like front heavy like I, i just don't you know i just didn't get it you know it but again you know, I use, I mean, people will scoff. I like using carbon lights yeah. um, because I beat the crap out of stuff and I don't want to have to, you know, spend a ton of money to replace it. But at the same rate, it's still pretty tough. You know, carbon lights don't break that often. And I'm not like a complete moron with them. I mean, but sure. in the kayak world, you know, you're laying stuff at your feet every Dropping now and then. The yeah. Well, I, mean, I think, too, <laughs> I know. think, too, um, 
you know, we have so many friends that have broken rods. And yep. I think that breaks down to a. We went on a so. roller coaster ride with I Will. <laughs> I, I, I was like, did Will just do a backflip? <laughs> yeah, I did. I think a it 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 breaks down into uh, cheap blank, and two, you know, when you're in a boat, you're never really high sticking a rod in a kayak because you're sitting so low to the water and you're trying to bring that fish to your kayak. A lot of guys high stick those rods, and then that fish goes to dig or flop or something like that, and that's when it, you know, the top portion of your rod, not just the tip. I've seen it break, you know, two three guides down. You know, that's when that breaks. And I think it's just because guys are are not reeling in enough line and they're high sticking that rod so high that when any kind of pressure gets pulled straight down on that rod, it's snapping that that rod blank. Whereas I think some of those guys and gals that have switched over to the quote unquote kayak rod, you're getting a little bit more um leverage out of that rod with a shorter butt without going to the high stick if yeah, that and, makes and, sense and, and to yeah, add so to we'll, that a lot yeah. of us are, are side are you know our side setters yeah. you know mm-hmm. so you're you're not really you know you're not standing up you're sitting you yeah. do like more of a side sweep yeah you know when you do these hook sets too and i think that has something to do with it as well sure yeah sure and what it is is this a lot of companies if they're building a rod right um they should have. They should be doing a tip hang down tests. So what a hip tip hang down test is is where that rod is is completely perpendicular to the ground, and uh, you run line through the the guides, guides and, and you're pulling like a five pound weight or something. No, it's it's not straight down. What they're doing is you're running it down to another guide that sits literally right by where the the butt is, and then that runs over to, um, uh, or sorry, one foot away from the from the butt of the rod. It runs straight down through that guide and then straight out, and then you have a, a, a like a scale or whatever, and you're pulling. And every rod that's worth its salt should have at least, especially for the bass fishing industry, should have at least a two kilogram, so like a four and a half pound tip hang down test, and that's a completely curl, right? So what it is is the when you reduce the angle of that curve, that rod can withstand a whole lot more weight right so if, if the rod was straight up and down if the tips in the water and you're reeling straight up i mean you could have a thousand pound fish and it's not going to break the rod right and as you get steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper the amount of tension that it takes to break that rod um is reduced right it's right, so like right. if you see a guy like you know fat cat newton and he's pulling a truck with his rod you know and the rod is you know pointed straight at the back end of the truck i mean anybody could do that if the line as long as the line doesn't break right sure um, but it's how how close to you and that's why in a kayak when you you know when you're when that rod is here your arm is you know really tight to your shoulder and the angle is really steep on that longer rod right. so you're getting you're getting a lot more you know torsion that that kayak rod would probably do the same thing at the same angle it's simply that because it's shorter you're not having to to lift reach the fish much. you're not having to lift it as yeah. steep right you're not yeah. having to pull the yeah. angles high exactly but yeah. Yeah, yes, I mean they have. They, if I was going to do a kayak type rod, and I don't know if this is anything, what I would do is instead of really changing the, the mechanics of the rod itself, would be to maybe add, with the rod, kayak specific, you know, accessories like a a, a lanyard, a Velcro lanyard attachment, 
you know, something that you could wrap around the, the butt grip or, and then the other thing that really, I think makes our rods um, helpful for that is um, we have a $65, no questions asked replacement plan. So the rod costs 150, but for $65, if you lose it in the lake, slam it in your car door, you know, roll over it with your, your trailer, you know, whatever you do, go online, send me an email. I'll give you a code. You can go online and order a new one for 65 bucks. Hmm. So, and then we have a five year, uh, limited warranty, um, for manufacturer defects. Gotcha. So, yeah. Very cool, man. So it only, basically only paying for the cost of the rod and the price that it takes for us to ship it to you. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, rod shipping yeah. is not cheap. <laughs> yeah. I know. No, 20 I'm bucks. Interested, yeah. I'm interested in that 47. That looks pretty cool. I think like on the, at least on the spinning side for me, like right off the bat. Yeah. And we're coming out with a, you know, especially for a lot of beginners, you know, a lot of people, there's still a lot of people out there that don't, um, don't use bait casters. So that's why we're kind of the number one request we've had. And we've had some kind of like niche requests for different rods. Um, but the number one request we've had is for like a seven, three medium heavy spinning rod. So that'll be here. That'll be here in August, mid August, mid to late August. So. Okay, a couple of weeks. Yeah, cool. A few About weeks. 25th ish. Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah you definitely. heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, Will, um, we appreciate your time, man. Uh, yeah. This has yeah. been a good, informative episode. I'm going to have to go back and re listen to this and take notes. Yeah. I had no idea uh, how far we were going to go down there. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, you asked this me, is, you asked me before we came on if I was if I if I was out of my comfort zone. I told you I've no, I've done this for quite a bit. Yeah, day. yeah, yeah. And when no, I told you it was sure. a long story, I wasn't lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's a great story, man. We'll have to have you back on again too, man. Anytime, Phyllis. Um Real quick, where can sure. folks find Doomsday Tackle products, social media, all that good stuff, man? Um, best place to go is uh, at Doomsday Tackle on Twitter or Facebook okay. or Instagram. Sorry, we don't really do Twitter, to be honest with you. I was going to say, like, really? I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't we do, do have We do have a Twitter account, but I don't really post on it. And that's sure. simply because Instagram and Facebook, because they're connected, they're so easy. I just post yeah. on Instagram and it goes everywhere that I can go yep. on there. Um, we do have a TikTok. I think there's one video of Dave Mullins catching something on there, but I don't ever post on that either. Um, well, but, yeah. just be advised. I just saw something come across my screen. Uh, President Trump just passed something where TikTok's going to be banned in about 45 yeah. days. So I don't know how many people that's going to piss Yeah, I saw. Off. So I guess Microsoft's not going to buy it now. I don't know. Don't we'll know. see. We'll see. <laughs> my, kid, my kids will be upset. Let's put it that yeah. Way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. But yeah, doomsdaytackle.com. Um, we're actually pretty much 100% online now. If you happen to be up in the Massachusetts area, um, in Brookfield, Massachusetts, um, there is one tackle shop, Ben's Tackle Shop. Give him a shout out. Okay. Um, and they do sell. Uh, so if you're in that, you know, uh, Boston-ish area of Massachusetts, you can get um, some stuff. But DoomsdayTackle.com, um, all of our stuff is free shipping. So we don't ever charge shipping for anything. That's kind of a new thing that we just started. And um, nice. yeah, so especially with this, you know, COVID stuff going on, a lot of people started moving, buying things online instead of going to stores. But Sure. Free shipping on everything. Um, 
if UPS breaks it, we'll replace it for free. Um, yeah. Very cool. I take care of our people. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again. Thanks, Will. Thank you. We'll uh, see you guys next Thursday. Same bad time. Same bad channel. Peace. Peace. Fish to the end. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures located in Northern Illinois for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle and Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% on all your jig and tackle needs.